0: I am so excited to bring a conversation with a guy whose work I have admired from a distance but never really gotten to know. Until now that is. This talk is with Mr. Jeff Bowman, Chief Experience Officer with Titan Machinery, one of the largest American dealers of agriculture and construction equipment based in Fargo, North Dakota. I actually knew Jeff for a short time when he served as the e-business lead at Caterpillar and I was always impressed with his ideas and his vision. What I didn't know is that Jeff is a Stanford graduate, an ex-U.S. Army Intelligence Officer, and his career has taken him from consultant work through various leadership roles where he helps transform customer experience for organizations on a global scale. Jeff is passionate about bringing great customer experience to B2B customers and driving brand growth, particularly through the power of digital, and he talks about that a lot in our conversation. He is a regular guest speaker on the topic of customer experience, and he is a seasoned writer for blogs and magazines in his field. I think you'll find Jeff to be smart, funny, and really knowledgeable on the principles of CX at a deep level. I think you'll appreciate his desire to work closer to the customer and tell us all he's learning through that process. So here he is, Jeff Bowman. First and foremost, we need to let everybody know what we're drinking here because this is uh, part of the idea. We're sitting having a beer. What's your beverage of choice here, <laughs> Well, Jack? I
1: wasn't going to admit that, but <laughs> I am having a beer. And I've got the Leinenkugel Summer Shandy, which is kind of my summer standby. It's so f- pretty much between, like, well, summer's pretty short in North Dakota. So I'd say between June and maybe... August, I, I'll have a few summer yeah, shandies. But
0: typically you're an amber guy?
1: Yeah, an amber beer guy, yeah. like for the heavier, colder part of the year, right. which is the other nine months in North Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> I, go with the, I go with the amber ales usually. Oh, that's
0: good. Well, I'm glad you were able to join me for a beer here. Tell me the story of Jeff. What was your education? What got you into this space?
1: So I did grow up in a small town in mm-hmm. rural Indiana. Just wanted to get as far away from Indiana as I possibly could. So I figured that was going to be East Coast, West Coast, or overseas. I ended up out at Stanford. Again, that was as much probably for a distance away from, you know, my hometown and just wanting to get out and and try some new things and meet some new people. So, by the way, I trained as a public policy major. I wanted to be the president of the United States. I didn't know what that meant. Wow. Uh, I don't have the social media skills for it. So... I went from Stanford to the military. I was uh, actually enlisted and I was going through ROTC training to get my commission. So I did uh, my focus, my specialty in the military was military intelligence. So I had some active duty training in military intelligence down in Fort Huachuca, Arizona and some air assault school I rappelled out of a helicopter. That was the fun part of just after college, and then uh, at the end of all that training, I finally got back into the, now I need a job. Right. And interviewed with several companies and ended up at Anderson Consulting.
0: Okay.
1: Actually back in Indiana. Uh Uh, out of the Indianapolis office. And so that was really where the career got started.
0: Interesting.
1: Anderson Consulting. They didn't care much about the rappelling out of the helicopter, (laughs) but um, I had a pretty good background in math and statistics. Mm. Okay. And so that's really the interest for me was along the lines of analytics. Mm -hmm. And so they sent me to the Anderson School to learn how to, wait for it, code Cobol.
0: oh okay right i think they
1: had i think they had like a fast class and a slow class and i was put in the code Cobol class i'll let you decide whether that was the fast or slow and then for my very first client they said you get an all-expense-paid trip down to peoria illinois and even though i was from indiana i had to pull out the map and say where is peoria illinois yeah and i did know a thing or two about caterpillar but not much but caterpillar was my very first client as an anderson consultant i worked in the parts warehouse and then i shifted roles and did some systems deployment and so i i hopped from coding to design of code to implementation methodology Mm -hmm. and then finally I got involved with the customer support agreements project that Caterpillar was trying to roll out in the late 90s. It was an opportunity to work with customers in different ways, new ways. And Caterpillar was at the forefront. Right. And so it was fun to be a part of that. So I was part of a pilot, and I went to uh, Colorado, and I helped deploy customer support agreements for Wagner Equipment in oh, Denver. cool,
0: in the field with the dealer.
1: Yeah, that. so that was my first exposure to a cat dealer outside of the parts distribution. And I ended up, after about a year as a consultant, working with the Wagner Equipment. The VP of parts and service there had this great vision. His parts and service vision was aftermarket support for customers and how to use data and prediction awesome. and all these things. I got super excited about that, said, yes, I'll take the job. Denver was nice, too. Sure. And so went out to Denver. Uh, did that for a couple years. And I have to say I wasn't ready for it. Oh, really? And by that, I mean the vision, the expectations were really high. The dealer wasn't ready for all that yet. I was 24 five-ish maybe a little bit older than that but not much pretty much thought that when you had the right idea people should line up right rookie mistake (laughs) so I just wasn't ready for a dealer environment where it it was a little bit further away from the whiteboard and and the concept and so I went right into the wood chipper actually enjoyed the time learned a lot didn't think at that time Wagner was going to move fast enough and I was definitely impatient okay so I went from there and I did process consulting then for uh, three or four other companies Texas Instruments Coors Brewing Company some different software companies got to travel around uh, which was a lot of fun but it was process consulting and that all brought me back to I did all this process consulting microchips beers things I love (laughs) and I ended up Like I couldn't get, at that point, the yellow blood was in me, right? It was like, to me, the most interesting challenge to take on was how I was going to serve the heavy equipment customer. It was just, at that point, it stuck. And so I didn't care about microchips. I didn't care about beer, except for I was drinking beer while I was working on heavy equipment (laughs) problems. And so that was it. That got me hooked. And I started to work then as a consultant. Okay. for Caterpillar directly at in the Global Rental and Used Equipment Group. Okay. And of course, I did that for uh, about a year or so and then got really, I got pulled in again. It was like, hey, I mean, could you help us lead the process improvement for rental globally? And I said, yeah, where do I have to live? And they said, Peoria. I thought about it some more. Yeah. And then I came to Peoria. And that was the start of my nine years or so with Caterpillar. Started two years with the Global Rental and Used Equipment Team, and then the last seven were with, I guess, what would just now be known as the e-business team.
0: Well, first of all, let me say that listening to that story gives me so much insight into you and how you became Mm -hmm. focused and passionate about the things that you are. I mean, hearing you say, you know, that your love of analytics and systems and, you know, even process is so probably core to still what you do today, but it It sounds like those were a lot of the sort of learnings that led into the e-business space
1: absolutely that for me that knowing everything is moving toward digital or digitally enabled you can do the two at the same time you could figure out how to make someone's day-to-day work their life better at the same time and using all the digital and data tools and so it's like but but you have to understand the process first you have to understand who they are and what they're trying to accomplish and then if you apply that all the digital tools and the insights to that, it can be a magical thing. We're helping the customers that feed and build the world. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. And that's a pretty big cause. It is. And so for me, once you're a part of a big thing like that, and it resonates with you, it sticks, it's stuck for me. And again, I, I understand the importance of getting beer to the people of the world. Right. I could probably tell a pretty good story there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and microchips, I mean microchips, we use them every day. So right. I'm in support of that. But there's something about the construction worker, the farmer that are out there every day basically helping us move to the next level in society. Right. Even that seems honorable, even noble, right? That's a great and so line. I'm like yeah, I'm like, I'll plug into that. That's Absolutely. big enough. I don't need to solve political problems. That's awesome.
0: So tell everybody about your new role at Titan, right? And what you're doing there.
1: So I think my first uh, my first trip through a uh, heavy equipment dealer, I wasn't ready for the gap that existed between you know, current and future state. And so for me, taking a step back to the OEM, which is a little more conceptual, it's a little more big picture, it's a little more strategic in terms of time frame. Sure, absolutely. Fit better for me at the time.
0: Sure.
1: Titan is, you'll have to check my stats here, but we're CNH's largest dealer globally so we have 100 locations about 75 in the US and about another 25 I think it's closer to 30 now in Europe so what that means is a little bit like a Finning cat or a Toramont cat for cat dealers we have the year of CNH and -hmm. so we have a good partnership.
0: That's awesome. And
1: so we have that close collaboration can get us there.
0: That's so great. And it,
1: and it, has, it has, that to. has to happen. Right. There's no plan the B. The customer requires it. Yeah. So yes, I think that now the imperative really is that the dealer and the OEM must go there together. Yes. If the dealer can influence a better understanding of the customer experience, yes. I think that can be pivotal yeah. for the OEM.
0: So it's so interesting that you likened the OEM to product and the dealer to service because we've been having lots of conversations as an organization about what was traditionally branding, right? That was product and logo and company and inside out is now turning into customer experience marketing and service branding and really those iterative touch points. That's not a one and done. It's evolving. It's dependent on situational context and each individual has different expectations. So... How does that kind of conversation creep into how you're helping communicate what your job is now as sort of customer experience champion?
1: Yeah, that's a darn good question. <laughs> I'm going to have to dial a friend. Um,
0: I know that was a big question, but no, when you hold in on the idea of a service brand yeah. and OEMs needing to go there when that's not their natural tendency, right? Yeah. They're product companies. So,
1: So I think to me, this all comes back to an understanding of what are the key customer experiences that you're supporting it's not a fluffy concept right it's fairly mathematical to understand the steps that a customer goes through in order to complete the work that they do every day yes and so that understanding is really the cornerstone of everything else you can have meaningful conversations with an OEM and collaborating to solve a problem if you have a common terminology, framework. if you have a common, common framework, that's the right word for, for how you're solving that problem together. And so that's where understanding the customer experience is the, it's sort of the decoder. Sure. And once you have that, now you can work together with the OEM to really understand the problem that you're solving yeah. for a customer. Yeah.
0: I wanted to get Jeff's take on the customer journey, how we define it, and how we identify some key touch points that are really important to the process. Jeff shares how he implemented a method called customer value mapping, and how it can help drive more clarity and definition to what the customer experience actually is.
1: When you say customer experience, people almost think like, oh, you mean marketing?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It, it's some. A fluffy, ethereal concept that's like, oh, well, of course we believe in the customer sure. experience. Misty, we're all about the customer. Right. We've always been about the customer experience. But nobody
0: really knows what it's But then
1: if you say, well, so can you <laughs> okay. show me that customer experience? Well, what do you mean? <laughs> this customer value mapping method walks through in just a rigorous way. You know, it's, it's triggers, steps, roles, and outcomes. Yeah. So in terms of our customers, it was they purchase their equipment how they operate their equipment and how they support their equipment it's really simple in fact that's all that our customers depend on us on or on us for are those three things do they have the right equipment because sometimes it's not easy to understand that we yeah. can help them with that when they have that right equipment when they put it in use in the dirt somewhere yeah. are they getting the most possible performance out of what we've given them. So when they when they're operating the equipment is right. it they're getting high performance. And then on the support side, whether it's maintenance or whether it's something doesn't go quite right and the machine needs repaired, are we giving them the best possible experience there? And you could kind of sum up everything that a dealer needs to how a dealer and an OEM in partnership need to support a customer with purchase, operate support, trigger steps, roles and outcomes. Yeah. And that was the light bulb moment for me because then suddenly You can map all of this data and you can map all the customer communications that you want to do, which is brilliant for marketing. Like, where should I be engaging with the customer at and what message should they get and how should it be delivered?
0: And all of it's knowable. I love that. So I think I shared with you, you know, Samantha has a passion for the heavy industry space as well. And there's so many similarities, regardless of industry, right? Just manufacturing companies in general deal with these three touch points you mentioned, you know. And so I guess what learnings have you had in making that a reality? Because it's one thing to craft a map on paper. It's another thing to try to define How to activate on it. Right. So, you know, we talk a lot about knowing your audience and building your personas and then crafting their end-to-end journey. But then the question we always get from marketers is, now what? So tell us a little bit about, Mm. once you had that on paper, what you did to sort of build that roadmap.
1: So out of the gate, I think I probably treated it a lot like I did my first assignment with with a dealer. I thought, this is the right idea.
0: (laughs) get on the bus. Now it should be easy. <laughs> right. Right? Everything
1: now should flow smoothly. We, we, the only thing we ever lacked was the right idea. Right. Turns out, uh, once again, there's a lot of hearts and minds that need to change in order to get there. And I would say from experience, two things come to mind. One is you have to be able to articulate the vision for why we're doing it this way mm-hmm. and why this is important. Mm-hmm. Like, and sometimes the light bulb will go on and sometimes it won't. But, is but that you,
0: a, a math, num- like an ROI kind of conversation? Is it what outcomes you're trying to drive?
1: I think it's more helping educate on the framework. So there has to be some logical consistency to it. But when you start mapping out customer experience, the potential impact of that is game-changing. Then the other thing, and this is where the, the team would, I think, notice a difference, is consistency. It's better to be consistent than perfect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm like a, a rogue version or a bad version of Google Maps. It's like I'm always rerouting, and <laughs> yeah. I'm like, "Wow, we could change it and make it a little bit better. Oh, we could change it and make it a little bit better. We could change it and make it a little bit better. And then my team would just get change fatigue, but not just my team. What about my peers? Sure. Right? What about my boss? Sure. But last week you said it was gonna be like this. Right. And so so the other piece of that is really you've gotta stick it's better to just stick with one core way of doing things for pick a period of time for two to three years. I mean, depending upon the project or the program or the initiative or what have you. Maybe that's too long, maybe it's not long enough. But my point is don't frustrate people with constantly trying to perfect it. It is new, so I like just a steady drum beat because people, it'll eventually get through yeah. if people have heard the same thing over and over and over again. Then they start to say, oh, trigger steps, rolls, outcomes. Purchase, right. operate, support. It just yeah. starts to, but if you changed it four yeah. times, like maybe we shouldn't call it purchase, maybe we should call it buy. Sure. And it's like, well, people lose the thread.
0: Jeff's perspective on the customer experience is so helpful for us as marketers to help us really clarify and define what we mean when we say customer experience. Following that line of thought, I wanted to get Jeff's take on technology adoption and how that impacts customer experience. This can be a pain point for a lot of marketers, and I found Jeff's philosophy and perspective to be really insightful. So tell about either in your past role or your current role, how what kind of philosophies you guys have about that today as far as how you make decisions on what technology to purchase and then how do you make sure to activate it so you didn't spend money on something you can't use?
1: Right. It has shifted. A bit over time because I think what we've been used to in the past and the days before software as a service mm-hmm. you would tend to buy an on-prem system of some sort that you would make a pretty hefty upfront investment and then you live with that for some amount of time and that could be decades right. and so and the costs of changing were high and so as we were going through the customer value mapping work and trying to be clear on purchase operate support, we began to evaluate our technology purchases relative to the impact that they would have on customer experience. And it wasn't, we didn't have a any sort of a mathematical algorithm for, well, this is going to be a 4.6 impact and this is only going to be a 3.8. Sure. but. But we would have the discussions as a leadership team, what's really gonna have the biggest impact. And when we went through the RFPs, the acquisition process, we focused in more on the customer experience aspects. And so we we had a new true north in terms of what would prioritize our spending. And I think we did fairly well that way. The team started to think, Less in terms of being enamored with any particular technology, yeah, features and functions, and started to engage more around what's it going to do for my customer, and that—that is a game changer when Mm. you have a whole team that's thinking not, I love (laughs) Salesforce.com, or you know, I love Oracle. Right. Nobody says I love Oracle, but. Instead of this, they're saying we just, we need something that will do this for the customer. And they they start looking for, well, what's the most economical way to get that done? Or is there, from a cost value perspective, what's the best way? That's a game changer when you're focused on the customer experience first for exactly that reason. Because otherwise people get enamored with technology and they go to a few conferences, they get excited and then they come back and it's all about selling the technology right. and you've totally lost sight
0: totally of
1: customer experience so that's a that's a key piece now here's what's changed with software as a service now so for example at Titan Machinery we're not making investments in hardware and software on-premise anymore mm-hmm. we're going all cloud
0: All cloud. Yep.
1: so with some small exceptions but primarily all cloud and there's still a switching cost mm-hmm. but each service provider is now doing a much better job of opening up the data in a certain way. I think the service industry is standardizing the key processes, whether it's email marketing, whether it's social, whether they're all in a competition to win in the services market. And so when one of them has a good idea, the other follows quickly. So you end up with similar sets of features and functions and so forth. And if you try it for a few years and you need to go in a different direction, customer experience or whatever, or one of them disrupts the market, it's not as make or break as it was
0: before. Yeah. I think as long as you understand the general concepts and functionality of the tools, then you can make any of them work, really.
1: I think so. And, And again, if you don't understand the experience and you say, well, we need CRM. Yeah. First of all, danger. Yeah. When you say we need CRM. Yeah. You're in dangerous territory. Yes, exactly. Something's about to go wrong.
0: Yeah. CRM is definitely a dirty word right now in the industry, but when you think about automating those touch points or having a place to store the customer behaviors so that you can trigger or even just the integration of marketing and sales, right? You were telling me on the way over here how important that is. So tell me some of the specifics on how you're leveraging the capabilities of technology to kind of make those interactions easier within the organization, but also to the customer.
1: So I'll use CRM as sort of this pivot point here because I think CRM is a great example of what happens when you try to apply technology where you don't understand the experience. Right. Because it is customer relationship management, it right? Do, yeah. I mean it you matters. like really understanding the customer is at the center of that. Yeah. But when you haven't done the work around what a customer really needs, the value of it starts to diminish. So that's a that's a great starting point and something that we're going through today at Titan which is we've had marketing and sales cooperating but disjointed from a workflow perspective sure. right the marketers are off making sure that the customer understands the message, and maybe generating leads, I mean, certainly generating leads, Filling but then the there's off, this yeah. clunky handoff to the sales department that's like, well, what's, where did this come from? These are
0: crap, right? Yeah, these are crap, that's the standard
1: <laughs> response. and That's gotten better over time, but what one of the things that we've done, we're doing now is sitting down on a, it's a monthly basis, actually, we have a bi-weekly CRM call specifically because that process is so hard, to solve, to get on the same page between marketing and sales. And we've got a monthly meeting with the sales team and marketing to look at our, the bigger initiatives. And the point to all that is to be able to align with sales on what the outcomes need to be for the customers. That's like, what, what are we trying to accomplish together? And then let's back off from that to understand what needs to be done and what do you do? And so what does external sales do or field sales? What does inside sales do and what does marketing need to do? And they're all the same team. Right. So
0: I love that you're doing that work because a lot of organizations want to, but it's hard and it takes that sort of ongoing commitment. How do you create consistency throughout the nation when you have all these different independent locations and regional salespeople and that sort of thing. And it sounds like you even have some global aspects to your business. So any pointers as far as like how to create consistency when it's geographically so spread out?
1: I'd say the first thing you've already said, which is the communication is the starting point. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's interesting the perceptions that each side has of the other before you actually sit down around the table and walk through what are we trying to accomplish. And then you realize, actually, we want to accomplish the same thing or pretty close. Sure. But before that, it was kind of like blah, posters and parties. And it was like golf. <laughs>
0: right.
1: I mean, this is these two the worlds. don't. Yeah, nuts. these <laughs> two worlds don't even come together. And then you sit down with the leaders and you realize ah, oh, we're on the same team here and we both have an important role to play. So I'm going to I'm going to cheat a little bit here because one of the things that we've done and this is a little bit. This is a little bit of an Uber strategy here is that. We're re-engineering that marketing to sales process step incrementally. We are in the process also of implementing uh, a dealer management system, so our our ERP system. Our plot is to really tighten the screws on the process. That sounded a little punitive. (laughs) But to really... Tighten our shot group right. with the process by making the system workflow just really easy. Yeah. And and making sure that it supports the end state. Sure. But also that for the user on the dealer side and then ultimately for the customer experience, that it's just really easy. So mm-hmm. but we are using the technology to reinforce the process. Sure. And so in a in a way that I say we're cheating. I mean, you you don't want to implement technology and then follow technology with process, but at the same time, technology can be an enabler, a a critical enabler, and so that's what we're doing. I think that uh, makes total
0: sense. You're improving the customer experience for your inside people just by making that easier. Awesome. Tell me what is inspiring you right now, either in work or life.
1: Well, I have eight kids, and so I've got eight some. Kids. I've got some different inspiration to draw upon. And what are the so, ages? Uh, they range from twenty-six to six.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: With the kids these days, we've had the girls, uh, Eva and Jet. Eva's seven, Jet six, in multiple camps this summer. But the thing that's inspiring about it is they're going to singing camps, art camps. This week is invention camps. That's fun. But I'll use Jet as an example. Jet will be. Daddy, we need to invent something. And of course, it's like I don't know if this is part of being Gen X or what. But I'm like, well, you gotta have a business case for that. I mean, you don't. You don't want to go there, honey. The bureaucracy that's involved with this will overwhelm and cripple you. So yeah. maybe. But if you don't do that, and this has been uh, very rewarding for me, just to learn, like. Jet will then come up with like seven or eight rapid-fire examples of inventions. And some of them have been done before. It's like, well, why don't we put a fan on top of your laptop? And I'm like, "Ah, I think it's been done before. All right, all right, all right. Then she's like, well, okay why don't we have a, a grabit device that's really sticky so you can reach things on the top shelf, but she will go rapid fire succession through things like completely unencumbered that by so cool. all the pessimistic, cranky, yeah. bureaucracy, you know, embattled right. people out there. And so it's just inspiring to see my daughters like not think about any limits whatsoever. That is so cool.
0: I think yes. it- in our jobs, we don't live in that blue sky space very long before we add all the requirements on top of it. That's so right. Getting people to, we call it popcorn brainstorming, where no idea is a bad idea, right? But it right. sounds like your kids are bringing that to the surface for you to see. And summer. really
1: let that happen.
0: You know, this past weekend I was unpacking some boxes, we were cleaning up my mom's attic, and I found a book I wrote in about fifth grade with a bunch of speeches I wrote. And it was just like, gosh, what happens to that? Somewhere along right. the way, that you know, fearless imagination.
1: Yeah, it's so. so it's so important, and when you it, certainly in life generally, but then when you'll find that you have certain people that haven't been beaten down uh, <laughs> that you work with every day, and just using that yes. and tapping into that is uh, it's good for the soul.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of the beating down,
1: <laughs>
0: what are some fears that you have right now?
1: Ah, fears.
0: Yeah. What just, keeps you up at night?
1: So for me, for me, it's one is not thinking big enough. A lot of times solving a little problem takes about as much energy as solving a big problem. Sure. Uh, so I, I think not reaching far enough in terms of what you're envisioning. Yeah. And so I, I think too many people, again, to the last point about inspiration, be unencumbered and go solve the problem that needs to be solved. And people want to connect with solving something meaningful at that level. So I, I think that that's definitely one of them is that I, I'll look back and say, man, you didn't reach far enough. Because of the
0: pace of change these days, it's going to catch up to you so quickly.
1: And it's so much as possible now. Right, right. So much as possible. So it's easier to leave something on the table sure. than it is to go too far. Absolutely. And so I think one thing is, especially for leaders, it's it's not to be way out ahead of your headlights, but it's to understand that like where you're going mm-hmm. is actually beyond your headlights. Right. You can't
0: see it yet. You can't see it yet, but that doesn't
1: mean you need, you should be thinking out in front of your headlights. That's where you're going.
0: And how do you surround yourself with the people that can help you get there? Because I think to your point you made earlier, sometimes when you have an idea and you're the leader and here's the blue dot, get on the bus, but yet surrounding yourself with all the different ideas that can challenge that perspective.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about my, my boss now, it's a long list, but. One of the things I really appreciate is that he understands from a strengths perspective, hey, look, I'm not like the fresh idea guy. Yeah. That's why you're here. Right. And so I think the balance is important. Don't surround yourself with status quo people. Yeah. Or you will get exactly what you've got. Yeah. Well, Guaranteed.
0: You, you are the idea guy. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. But
1: Some leaders think I'm the leader, therefore I need to be the idea guy. Okay. I'm the leader, therefore I need to be the execution guy. I'm right. the leader, there fill in the blank. Right. I'm the leader, therefore I need to be everything to everyone. Sure. And it's it's even more strategic to very clearly identify what you're not right. and figure out who you need around you. And
0: be highly attuned to Right,
1: together. right. I think that's so important.
0: Talk to me about how your perspective of leadership and leading a team has changed maybe since those early days at the dealership to now what you have the capability of doing, which is in many ways revolutionizing, you know, your go-to-market strategy or how you deliver for the customers and and how do you bring your team along with you in that?
1: So what early days, probably the biggest struggle I had was just trying to just rush up to the top of the hill. Okay. Like, I've got the right idea. Right.
0: This is so me. And I do this. At, right.
1: <laughs> idea done. I figured it out. Right. And people, they can be slow. And so I'll go up to the top of the hill. I'll plant the flag. Right. You know, maybe start with me. working on dinner. And and then, you know, people will naturally be behind me. But there's always the option that they're not even trying to get up the hill. Right. Sure. And so for me, two things came together. It's really around having a big enough vision Companies need a big vision to really make progress. If you're thinking incremental progress, short of Six Sigma or some sort of methodology, you will get probably even performance to what you did last year. Sure, it's a competition. Yeah, everybody in the market is doing the yeah. incremental changes, and so if that's if your focus is keep them running, continuous improvement, that gets you right to the waterline. Mm-hmm. If you really want to break through, you have to think of new ways of doing business, which hypothesis, customer experience is the right way to focus. But you have to think from a business perspective of something that's truly going to differentiate you from the competition, which is not easy no. because everybody's out there thinking Absolutely. about it. Okay, and let me flip to the employee side now. People want to be involved in something that has a lot of meaning. Yes. They want it to matter. Right. I'm not saying that people that are involved in six sigma aren't Mm -hmm. satisfied like Mm -hmm. that's a bigger impact that you're having by being part of the continuous improvement engine and there's more forms of six sigma than damaic so if you're a Mm -hmm. dometi guy don't worry about this part but the point being that you've got a company that needs big change yeah you've got employees that want to be part of big change Mm -hmm. that's a pretty good match yeah So now what remains is to bring a framework that both the company and the employee will be excited about. A common language, right? right? common framework, terminology, etc. So you've got to have that vision, you've got to have that framework, that strategy, if you will, the plan for actually getting it done. The company needs that because they don't want to throw dollars away. They want it to hold water, your logic. The employee needs that because they want to tie into this bigger picture and they want to have evidence that they are part of something bigger so when you've done the foundational work Mm -hmm. of understanding what needs to happen you've brought your employees along you've spent time with them they're bought into the bigger thing that needs to happen right it's the best thing for everybody when you make that happen the company needs it your employee needs it and so then your one of your leaders or one of your team members comes to you completely in alignment with that vision and says i think we should do this and you talk about it and you work through it and what happened with me is I had leaders that were smarter than me and I looked at it and I said my goodness you're right that will get us exactly where we need to be or close <laughs> and it's even it's better than anybody has ever thought about that before at that point it's about everybody wins right but again it's that combination of What's great for the company is also, in that this case, great, great for the for employee. And as a leader, you have to advocate Absolutely. for that. Absolutely.
0: And I think to, in today's day and age, everybody's so focused on data and technology and in that execution space that sometimes we just don't take the break and say what is that big vision, you know, and that's where creativity still comes into play. I mean, you've mentioned Uber a couple times in this conversation. Amazon is what the best customer experience in the world. That's their vision. So how do you think big enough in that equation? And you kind of hinted towards that too. Really good advice to everybody listening today. First of all, I just want to thank you because this has been awesome conversation. You've just been a super interesting interview and I hope we can keep in touch.
1: Thanks, Misty. It's been great to be here.
0: Well, all, that was Jeff Bowman from Titan Machinery, someone I previously admired from a distance, but now have had the pleasure of getting to know. If you work in the construction or ag industry, I'm sure Jeff would love to connect. We'll put links to Titan Machinery and some of Jeff's writing on our website at marketing There, you can also find links to all the available episodes of Marketing Sweats or visit smail.com to learn more about us or get in touch. In the meantime, I thank you for listening, and I want to tell you about our next episode. Our next session is with one of my dearest friends, Dave Lucas of Lucas Partnering. Dave is a marketer at his core with over 30 years experience working agency side, client side, and most recently, venturing out at his own to start his own business. I think you're going to love Dave's views on leadership and life, so be sure to tune back in. Until then, keep moving, marketers, and we'll talk soon.